Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me, as always, is Patrick Brewer. What's going on, Patrick? How are you doing uh, this Monday morning? I am doing well, James. How are you? Uh, Doing well. Uh, Padres are, yeah, a little bit of a slow stretch, I guess, if you will. They're 5-5 and in their last 10 games. Uh, Presently sitting 22-19. and Four games back of the Dodgers and tied for second place with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, you know, I know some fans are a little down on the way the team's played recently, but I think if you were heading into the first game of the year and said the Padres are going to be 22 and 19 at this point, you'd be pretty content with that. So I think we need to just focus on the fact that they're three games above 500. And the young players on the team are playing well. Um, I don't know. Give me your thoughts, Patrick. I mean, yeah, we're a quarter way through the season. Um, I mean, this is probably one of the best positions they've been in recent years, obviously, uh, at this yeah. point in the season. So, I mean, we, pro- we project them about, what, like 80, 85 wins? So, I mean, given given where they're at now, they're on pace for about, I think, 85, 84, which yeah. that, that would yeah. be, for me, I mean, that would be a good season. I mean, I was expecting them to win maybe, like, upper 70s low 80s so the fact that they've kind of jumped ahead of that a little bit um, i think i think there's still end of season records right around 500 in the projections based on you know how the rest mm-hmm. of the season will go but i mean they could definitely exceed that and kind of get to mid 80s and i mean that's going to be a playoff contender maybe not a maybe not a wild card team but that'll put them at least in the picture and i think if they're in a playoff race i mean that's that's definitely gonna be a fun year uh, regardless of what ends up happening at the end yeah you know in in a couple months they should still be uh, hovering around the 500 mark, hopefully a little above that, and, and it could definitely be some playoff talk. Um, at this point, it's kind of strange that the offense is not performing and the pitching is performing. Uh, I would expect that to flip flop at some point with all these young starters, uh, and as as the offense starts to hopefully find their stride. Um, I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's still very young in the season, and this team is still very young in itself. So we just kind of gotta just kind of just go through the motions this season i would uh, would imagine more than anything it's hard to talk about playoff aspirations when chris paddock uh lauer lucchese all, all these guys are going to have innings limits and aren't going to be able to pitch in in september and october and even into november when we when or if we need them so um we'll have to wait and see right patrick yeah i mean if they keep rolling with a six-man rotation i guess you could you know, lessen some of those concerns and get those guys pitching until September. I think that might be the plan, but, you know, yeah, yeah. plans often go awry, so we'll see how that goes. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, folks, uh, for our 105th episode, uh, we are bringing in an old friend of the show, Eric Longenhagen, uh, Fangraph's lead prospect analyst. Uh, their top 55 Padre list just dropped. Uh, there's, there's, gosh, there's 80-something names on the list. Uh, it's pretty impressive stuff. 
and we will be talking with Eric shortly. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. Thank you for joining us uh, on episode 105 of the East Village Times podcast. Uh, Eric Longenhagen is here, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs. Uh, top 55 Padre list just dropped. Uh, what's going on, Eric? How are you doing? Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, you got it anytime. It's just the, uh, you know, a few weeks before the draft, and that is like the the large thing going on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, this Padre system is going to be uh, a, a little bit richer in, in the coming months as the as the June draft hits and uh, as well as the uh, July second international market. So uh, we're pretty excited here in, in Padre Padreville. Uh, this team has never really had a franchise or a, a farm system like they have now. Uh, let's get right into it. The top fifty five list just dropped. Uh, pretty interesting list. Uh, anything in particular you'd like to let the fans know about the top fifty five list for the Padres that just came out for you guys? Uh, I mean, it's the deepest list that we did. Um, we method methodologically we tend to include everyone who we think has a chance to be a big leaguer, um, which is why like the Padres list is fifty five dudes long, and like uh, the Red Sox list is like less than half of that. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, like there's variability to club to club with the depth of the farm system rather than pick like a, an arbitrary amount to include. Uh, we try to do everybody we think is of note, uh, anyone that a team might be interested in trading for, like however you want to define it can kind of change, but, uh, but it's 55 deep dudes. Uh, this system is, I mean, obviously, you know, the star power up at the top, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast is familiar with, uh, some of the stuff that is like throughout the system that I think is indicative of what this team is doing is, um, you know, the, the polished college arms that we've seen come through the system already, uh, like, uh, Margavichis and Lucchese and Lauer and Quantrill, like there's a lot of that type of pitcher throughout the system um increasingly there is that type of hitter being drafted grant little owen miller polished college hitters of some kind um are starting to find their way into the system more often than those first couple years uh under preller where it was like the high upside types um high school pitching stuff like that so uh there's a little bit more baseball skill and feel uh, Ryan Weathers is that type. Tucupito, Marcana, Marcano, and Xavier Edwards are that type. Guys with good baseball instincts who are not necessarily like the big projectable athletes. It's more of that type of player now uh, than it is like the you know Fernando Tatis type body uh, with high risk. Like that's not something that um, we see throughout the system as much anymore uh, as time has gone on. It's been a pretty interesting transition, but the system is still obviously very very deep. Yeah, I think that's a quality assessment that they've kind of changed gears a little bit. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they pick uh, up in June or when they have that number six pick coming up. There's going to be some decent talent there, and it'll be interesting to see if they stay with that um, college mentality that you, that you kind of spoke about and, and, and whether and stay away from the high upside type athletes. So uh, yeah. we'll have to wait and see what, what they have to in store for them. Um, any thoughts off the bat before we get into the, the list of, of – 
Number six pick, who the Padres could potentially have uh, when that comes about. Sure. So um, I think the three names who will almost certainly be off the board when the Padres go on the clock at six are Adley Rutschman and Bobby Witt Jr. Um, I don't know if Rutschman will go one to Baltimore. When Baltimore's general manager, Mike Elias, was in Houston, they cut you know a deal at, at pick one. Um, I think every time that they drafted, try to you know find somebody else later in the draft. Whether it was you know I think they gave five million dollars to Daz Cameron or uh, you know saving some money uh, to sign Lance McCullers. Like there are several instances of them doing this. And so while Rutschman is like, in my opinion, head and shoulders above the class without me knowing anything about his medical. Um, he may not be the target at one if Baltimore decides they want to cut. Um, but I do think he'll be off the board before the Padres pick at six. There's a non-zero chance that Cal first baseman Andrew Vaughn is there at six. That would involve uh, the White Sox being in on like C.J. Abrams, the high school shortstop, second base center field type guy from uh, from Georgia. Um, if the White Sox lean Abrams at three, then maybe Vaughn falls to six, but I expect he'd probably be off the board when they picked as well. So really what I think the mix at six looks like is Abrams if he's there. Um, my partner Kylie McDaniel was in to see Abrams and, and Preller was there last week. So uh, that's, a, that's a pretty okay. strong signal. Um, <laughs> so uh, so Abrams, if he's there at six, would seem like a possibility. J.J. Blade, the outfielder from Vanderbilt, also Preller was seen seeing him last week. Um, so those two guys, any of the other college bats that kind of merit consideration in that area. Uh, so maybe Hunter Bishop, if you like him, um, maybe uh, Bryson Stott, the shortstop at UC- UNLV. If you like him, it's a physical lefty hitting shortstop with some power. Um, so those the two lefty college bats in that area seem like possibilities to uh, Riley Green, the right fielder, the high school right fielder from Florida is arguably a college bat. Um, he is close to 19. He is physically mature. You are not, you're not like, uh, buying into physical projection there. He's like a a thicker, stronger kid. Uh, but he, he has like the track record of hitting, uh, throughout high school, like Jared Kelnick did last year. It's uh, less chance he stays up the middle than Kelnick, but this is like the most polished high school bat in the class. It's, It's probably green. So you could argue he should be grouped, you know, with the college bats, um, just as far as like the risk assessment goes. So like that's sort of what I think is the mix right now. We're three weeks out. I'd say, yeah, they'd love for someone like Witt or Rutschman or whoever to fall for some unforeseen reason, but that probably doesn't happen. I think the mix is more like uh, Vaughn is a dark horse if he's there, Blade, Abrams, uh, and then maybe some of the other uh, college hitters up in that area. Maybe Zach Thompson, the lefty from Kentucky too, depending on his uh, medical. He's thrown a lot of pitches and has been hurt, so... I think that's sort of the the mix they're looking at at this point. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting that uh, they drafted both Blade and Bishop, you know, in 2016 out of high school. So I think it's kind of interesting that both guys are possibly available for them to pick now, three years later. So yeah, uh, and I think you uh, for the redraft guys, they have to the the kids has to have to say yes, it is okay for the team that originally drafted me and did not sign me to do so again. Mm-hmm. And like the uh, barring like weird 
Carter Stewart level stuff, like where there's real animus between the kid and the org, like that barely ever happened. So I, I wouldn't worry about anything like that. But yeah, yeah Bishop definitely. was part of that huge Arizona State recruiting class, and he's the only one who got to school. Like it was Bishop, Gavin Lux, Bo Bichette, and Reggie Lawson were all ASU commits in the same year. Um, and only Bishop's the only one who got to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so before we dive too far into lists, I wanted to kind of talk to you about what these uh, future value grades mean just for like the, the average fan who's maybe not as clear uh, kind of what those those numbers kind of uh, differentiate. So could you kind of go into that a little bit? Like what's the difference between like a 65 and a 55 and kind of kind of more on that? Sure. So uh, the we know it's not perfect to do this, but we try to uh, boil down the same way wins above replacement does. We try to boil down prospect uh, value into one number and we try to map it to wins above replacement where uh, during the first six years of tim- team control this the future value number maps to the annual wins above replacement that we expect from a player so like a 60 uh, uh, on the scouting scale so the 2080 scouting scale where 50 is average um, and each 10 away from 50 is like a standard deviation away from the mean and that applies to tools and uh, you know production. You can kind of apply it to ed- everything uh, because the population of players is big enough that things are distributed in like a bell curve, like most things in nature, like run times and and power output and all that stuff, speed. Um, so, uh, like an average big league player generates two two and a half WAR. Uh, it, during the course of the season. And so if we expect someone to do that on average every year during those first six years of team control, then they will be a 50 future value uh, on our list. So um, uh, if we have like a 40 on someone, that means that we think they're a bench player, uh, you know, a utility type, a reliever, someone who's going to max out probably in like the one, one and a half uh, war area annually and so like your superstars the guys who are like 70 and 80 future value types that's acuna and tatis and vlad jr those are the players who we expect will generate you know more than four more than five war uh every year on average during those first six years and then obviously when you start to really break it down it's like okay well pete alonso is already in his mid-20s he's built this way six years from now he might uh while he's still under team control, like hit his decline phase already. Uh, and so how do we factor stuff like that in? How do we factor in, you know, the Franchi Cordero types who are probably going to have years where they're really terrible. Uh, you know, Lewis Brinson is someone like that. Michael A. Taylor and, you know, these tools, these strikeout heavy guys where some, some years it's five war, some years it's one. Uh, you know, how do you balance that out? So we try to uh, map future value to war over that six-year stretch. Um and then we also kind of factor in like risk and proximity to the big leagues as well. A, a fifth, uh, someone who we think is a f- number four starter, um, who's at AAA, like um, like when Luke Casey was like last prospect eligible, we had a fifty on him. We just think he's a ready right now f- number four starter. Uh, someone with that stuff who's like five years away from the big leagues, we'd probably have a forty future value on, uh, just because of the risk that something happens health wise or. You know, the value of timeliness to the big leagues, like, that that's real. If we had two guys who were exactly the same pitcher and I told you that they were going to have exactly the same career, 
and one of them is ready to pitch in the big leagues tomorrow and the other one won't be for five years, like you want the guy who's ready tomorrow. So uh, we have to factor that stuff into. So there is a lot of subjectivity to it. The, uh, the numerical grading system probably uh, causes the layperson to think it is more precise than it actually is. Uh, they are still – we try to apply like a lot of logic – uh, to the way we do it, but at the same time, like there is unavoidable subjectivity to it, uh, because there's our opinions about players we're seeing. It's the scouts and front office people's opinions about the player. Um, the, the players themselves are flawed and fail and player development is flawed and can fail. So there are a lot of potential pitfalls to the whole process, but, um, we're trying to improve it constantly. And, uh, act as if we are team number 31 trying to put together scouting reports on the minor leagues. Yeah, I mean, it's pr pretty crazy considering all the factors that go into it. The Potters have 45 guys who are considered at least 40s, another 10 guys who are, you know, kind of on the cusp of that. I mean, so I, if you were, a, you know, a team 31, how would you how would you kind of consolidate this sort of depth in a, in a minor, minor league system kind of to create a, you know, a big league winner? So how do you think the Padres go about, you know, going through all these guys and figuring out, you know, who works, who doesn't, kind of who to trade, who not to trade. Right. Yeah, that's um I do think that the the verb you used consolidate is apt. I think that there's so much depth here and I think a lot of the, the a huge thing that uh, most casual or even uh, you know the, whatever the tier above casual baseball fan is uh, don't fully grasp is the importance of the 40 man and prospects timeline to to the 40 man uh, and how it affects their value most teams will you know if there is a relief pitcher on this list who is like in his mid-20s and has to be put on the 40 man lest he be rule five eligible or if they're out of options and uh, can be had potentially for free very soon that guy has like very little value on the trade market uh, and so like what we saw the Padres start to do last year is consolidate um, or rather churn uh, the way the Yankees, we've seen the Yankees churn all this extra 40-man depth. Um, and you know, they just have so much that, you know, they have like three guys drafted in the Rule 5 uh, every year. And so like what we saw San Diego start to be forced to do last offseason was trade Walker Lockett for Ignacio Feliz, trade um, Ryan Buckter for Esteban Quiroz, like – trade players who are big league ready. They could probably help you right now, but you are running out of space because all these prospects are, need to be put on the 40-man soon. Um, and so you need to acquire prospects who don't. Um, so like Feliz does not have to be on the 40-man for a while. Same with Key Rose, even though he's 27 because of when he signed. And so you're going to start to see the org do that um, to try to keep 40-man space open as some of these guys who were drafted in, you know, 2015, 2016 need to be put on the 40 man soon. Um, and so that'll start to happen. And then as far as like who you keep and who you trade, because some of these guys will have to be packaged together. Uh, and ideally, you know, you're adding the team is competitive right now. Like ideally you're throwing two or three of these guys in a deal for a stud that's going to, you know, help push you over the edge and help you compete with LA in the division uh, and so like injury stuff would seem to be a driver, you know, um, it obviously takes away like Anderson Espinosa, no one's trading for that guy right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you, you want to keep 
pit, you know, pitchers who have been healthy, I think, um, make up stuff that the Padres know about that other teams don't just because they deal with these kids every day is probably another factor that's really hard for us to nail down uh, which of these kids works and which of them doesn't. It's just a thing that we don't know because we're not you know, at the, the facility um, indoors every day watching what, you know, who is eating what, who is in the weight room, who is uh, like handling their off-field business, the day-to-day uh, professional baseball player stuff that like makes you better on the field uh, because you're taking care of yourself basically. Uh, like we just don't know. So I think that like those are two of the factors, health, makeup, um, aside from just the talent. You know, I, I at some point they're going to have to part with players they like. like I think that's just going to happen. Yeah, no, that's definitely a, a good problem to have. Something that Padre fans aren't necessarily uh, used to. It's it's uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, AJ Preller and his and his uh, baseball operations department are going to have to do their homework, and they're going to have to turn those uh, those forty man eligible players over and, and bring in younger talent. So, yeah, it's it's an ever going process, and uh, it's pretty amazing uh, when you start to think about all of the the the, the just the inside information that's needed to gather. Uh, gather stuff on, on these guys um let, let's start off by talking about chris paddock someone who's not uh rookie eligible anymore uh but just has been pretty flat out dominant for the padres uh give me your thoughts on on paddock and his development of the curveball which seems to be key on, on him moving forward and and what you think that his ultimate um upside is uh for the san Diego padres yeah um Paddock's interesting. The this is one of those guys where the career trajectory has been uh, abnormal. Not just because of how dominant he's been early in the big leagues, but the the entire thing really. Like we're talking about a 19 year old high schooler when he was drafted from Texas. Like he's basically slipped through the cracks for a number of different reasons at various points. Uh, so like teams that use a model in the, in the draft room, uh, to like really heavily, uh, alter their draft board, almost always age is, is a huge variable in that. And so when you're like almost a 20 year old high schooler, uh, you're going to move down draft boards. Um, and when you're in Texas where it's easy to miss guys because Texas is so big, uh, like you can slip for that reason too. And then when he was as dominant as he was with Miami early on, it was so new. Like he had been an extended. They sent him to low A probably to limit his innings. You know, he didn't start the year in an affiliate. He came out a little later probably because of an innings limit. Uh, Barely pitched. Then there's the trade. Then there's the injury. I saw his last extended start before the Padres sent him to an affiliate for the first time last year. And he was like 93, 95. Uh, you know, the fastball angle was there. You know, that's just a tough angle for hitters to deal with. I mean, you guys have seen it. Um, but obviously the command that he has had to this point was not yet there, which is understandable coming off of the TJ. Uh, and then the changeup has always been dominant. I mean, we have a future seven on the changeup, uh, which is the highest um, future changeup grade we have of any prospect on the board. Um, and yeah, the curveball development, like I always just think it's fine. Uh, it was below average last year. It's been closer to, uh, or more consistently flashing average this season. Um, I think, uh, the little, the little differences in, in the baseball itself might be helpful on that end. So, uh, so yeah, like 
I think he's going to end up with, we're probably light on his future command grade. We only have it as plus, like it, he might have 70 command with the, with an elite changeup and a plus fastball with uh, that plays up because of angle. Like that's fine on its own. Like look at what Cole Hamels did basically as a two pitch guy early in his career. Uh, Hamels was not throwing this hard. He did not have this kind of angle on his fastball. He had just, he had an 80 changeup and, uh, like seven or eight command. And then only later did he start to develop that cutter and the curveball, you know, was used a little bit more like, um, I, th- I think Paddock's going to be very good. Uh, if he has to, if something happens to him and he breaks and needs to have a second Tommy John, then, you know, like all bets are off. The guy's coming back from a second TJ, uh, the success rate of that surgery is like much much lower. So, um, so there's some risk on that that there there's not for a similar arm who has not had a surgery yet. Um, so if we're looking at him like as on the prospect continuum, we have to consider that. Uh, but yeah, he looks really really great and um, he's a lot of fun to watch. Like he just goes right after dudes and it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, he's definitely fun to watch. That uh, interaction that he had with Alonzo this past week was uh, was pretty impressive. Uh, I know some people <laughs> got a little uh, got their feathers a little ruffled by by his uh, calling on Alonzo, but I think it's um, whatever motivates him to to come to that uh, higher level. You got to do it. So um, let's let's talk about Franmil Reyes, who's uh, someone who's one of my favorite prospects. Or he's not a prospect anymore, but one of my favorite players. Uh, what has Franmil Reyes done to surprise you as far as his major league uh, at-bats and, and, and just the way he's progressing? Yeah, we had a 40 on Franmil last year uh, before he graduated. And yeah, this has been pretty surprising. The power is not surprising. Like that is an obvious thing uh, that he's always had. He has remade his body in a way that uh, is better, in my opinion. He's one of those guys, like I mentioned before with Alonso, where we're like, okay – Look at this guy's body at 20. Uh, might we be talking about a DH-only body when he's 23, 24? Like what kind of role on an NL club might this guy actually have? Uh, and we just we, – so like for that, we just crushed him. Like we moved him way, way down. Um, and he just – that just hasn't been the case. Like he is okay defensively um, in the outfield corners and he's – just totally mashing. Um, so yeah, it's just, he's got monster power and the body has not gone backwards on him yet. Uh, we'll see over the course of the next, you know, five years what happens. Cause again, like that's the sort of window that we're trying to assess. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like there's no reason to believe that this is fluky. Uh, the power is, is very much real and he's hitting. So, um, I just think this is what he is until he isn't anymore. I awesome. That's what I like. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. I mean, I, I, I'm just impressed about the, the fact that he will choke up with two strikes and try to put the ball in play. And you don't, you don't usually see that from a 23 year old power hitter or, or someone who's labeled as a power only type of guy. So right, and it's, um, Pat- you know, like ultimately, it kind of depends how you want to look at it, right? Because like the dude's got 11 dingers a quarter of the way through the season. Like he's on pace to hit 40 bombs. Uh, nice. He's also got, you know. His OBP, as we're as we're sitting here talking, is like a shade under 300. So, you know, it's um, but like still at this pace, he's got he's generated half a win already. Like he's a two win guy at this pace, um, which when you look at you know 40 home runs is like oh wow like that 
two wins on a on a 40 homer guy it doesn't seem like a lot but yeah like he's got a low end walk rate and the the defensive value is not good so like there's still a gap between where we had him as a 40 and what he has been which is like he's performing like a 50 um but yeah it's not as if like this is i don't think he's an all-star level performer i just think he's good Still waiting for that DH in the National League, huh? <laughs> yeah, and so that's an interesting thing, right? Like, think about the the outfield logjam that the Padres have right now, right? Like, Myers, Renfro, Franchi's in extended. You've got Reyes. You've got Margot. Uh, you have some of these other upper-level outfielders. Uh, Edward Oliveras is hitting at double-A. Buddy Reed is coming. Like, all these guys can play a role of some kind, you would think, I think this is where the problem of consolidation comes in. And the, the DH in the National League, I mean, it might probably just be Naylor if there's a DH. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like it solves one of your problems. It's like, oh, we have a, a cost control big leaguer ready to fill this void, you know, like immediately. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be the DH in the NL would be like pretty good for the Padres, I think. Yeah, if only they didn't spend $144 million on a first baseman, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let, let's talk a bit about early season performance. So um, I know that most of your list kind of gets formulated probably a few months back, you know, a lot of spring training looks, that sort of thing. Um, has there been any guys that you would say would have would have kind of moved up on this list based on early season performance? Or guys, have you guys kind of already accounted for those sort of movements? Um, yeah, like guys, it's pretty fluid. We don't go nuts because minor league, the minor league season is, is less than a month old at this point. Like it still is not, um, there's still not a lot to work with as far as the minor league samples are concerned. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is pretty fluid The the 50 future value guys and above are locked when we do the hundred. So like Anderson Espinosa, second Tommy John, uh, when we update this, he'll probably slide down, uh, and stuff like that has happened, you know, like um, Javier Guerra converting to the mound and looking like he has uh, is has, was big for where he is on the list. Like he just would not have been on here uh, if he were like sitting ninety ninety two, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I don't think anybody really moved like crazy because of the first month of the year. Some of it is fluid and up to the minute because, uh, like, why not make it that way? You know, like it just gives a better picture of what is really going on here. Um, and so like, yeah, if someone, if we found out someone was really good or really bad last night and the list has to go up tomorrow, like I ideally like to change it before it does, Mm uh, just so that's more correct. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as far as individuals go, uh, yeah, like Gara's the one big one just because of the conversion and the way that went, but everybody else, uh, is just about where they were. Um, Last year, we had a 35 plus on Ty France. Ty France, I saw in college. Like, he was on a really good San Diego State team. Uh, that was him and Sebi Zavala, who's in the White Sox system, and Bubba Derby, who is like an upper level junk baller, who's pretty good. Uh, and like, France is really hitting. He, I don't think he can play third. He's really blocked there anyway. Um, and he's really blocked at both corner infield spots. Like that, this is France is the type of guy who they probably trade, right? Like they should try to find a team who has behaved the way Toronto has recently, where Toronto's like, yeah, give me Brandon Drury, give me Teoscar Hernandez and Randall Grichuk and Billy McKinney. Like give me all these guys who are pretty good, but there's no space on your big league team for, uh, and we'll try to patch a bunch of average big leaguers together around uh, Vlad and Bichette and stuff. 
uh, and try to compete. Like the Padres should try to find someone like that to, to uh, move players like this, uh, like France, uh, in in deals. But yeah, so France France has been hitting, but we've always been on France a little bit. Um, Kiros, we yeah, Kiros, we like the same. I'm just looking at the list right now, and all these other guys like Gerardo Reyes we had on there last year. Uh, yeah, this feels about right. You know, some of the guys who have been bad, too, like Dylan Coleman, got spit back out from uh, High A. Velocity was way way down. Like we still just have a 40 on Dylan Coleman. It's so early um, before we decide to move guys or, or or react too heavily to things one way or another. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's it's easy to get too uh, too far into early season performance, but obviously there's many many months to come. So, <laughs> um, I had, I actually wanted to talk more about Javi Guerra. So I know you got to see him. Um, I mean, do you think he can actually be a big league relief pitcher as of now, based on what you've seen? I don't. I, mean, I wouldn't feel comfortable throwing him on a big league mound right now. Um, I don't think Guerra would be comfortable with that. <laughs> but uh, but this is different. Like here in Arizona, it's one of my favorite things. Like I run into a lot of conversion arms um, and a lot of times it is a last ditch thing that, you know, is not going to work out. Like the D backs had a kid, a lefty who was like sitting 83 yesterday. Um, And like, that's just probably not going to work. And, you know, Oakland had Eric Mariniaz last year who was like 93, 95 with, okay curveball and the changeup that there was some feel for you like oh, okay this might work and then Guerra Guerra's first pitch in the bullpen in front of like you know three or four front office people was 97 he touched 100.4 during that first bullpen uh his fastball has like natural cut action to it um some of the sliders I saw were above to plus like if he learns how to locate that slider it's going to do damage against big league hitters because it moves enough it moves late enough he just has to locate it and so you know like he's fluid he's athletic he's got a good body like this is this is really good you know and upper 90s with cut is kenley jansen you know um so of all the conversion arms i've seen this is the guy with some of the best stuff. Uh, some of the other guys I've seen, like I'm going to name dudes now who you have, you've never heard their names. Yoiber Marquina, uh, Ramon Morla. Like these are other conversion arms who I've seen. And it's like, holy shit. This is, it's 98 to 101, you know, with wow. a plus secondary, like, it, and you don't know who they are because they got hurt, uh, or have been hurt a bunch of times. Like, so, uh, there are lots of, potential hurdles for Guerra. I think you're going to see him get kicked out to Lake Elsinore pretty soon and throw twice a week and like, just see how it goes. But from like an athleticism, arm strength, movement perspective, it's very promising. Um, and like, I'm, I'm very excited. You have to kind of temper your expectations because of all those potential pitfalls. But like, this is what it looks like when this works out. This is what it looks like early on. And so, yeah, I think Padres fans should be pretty excited. And, like, this is just for the kid, too. Because when he was struggling, I remember seeing him. I did not see him while he was at Boston. Like, I just never saw late eyes on this kid in person until after he was traded to San Diego in that first year in, like, Elsinore. 
um, once he started to struggle, once he really started to strike out, like it was rough. Like watching the kid, he was very sullen, um, very down on himself. He really carried it around with him in a way that was noticeable on the field, uh, and it was rough. Like I felt for the kid, and um, I think a lot of people did, and some people didn't. Like some people like really crushed his makeup and called him soft and all that. So, uh, but to fail like that. Uh, and now he seems so comfortable on the mound, like he knows how hard it is to hit. Uh, so like when you're throwing, when, when, you know, the staff tells you, Hey, you're throwing 97, (laughs) like it's got to give you so much confidence that you can like blow 97 pass guys for a while. Cause like you couldn't touch it. So, um, (laughs) it's pretty exciting and I hope things work out. Like it would be a really great story for, for the kid. Yeah. I mean, he's only 23, so there's definitely, there's definitely some upside here and, uh, I, I I love that you mentioned about him taking last year's failures and, and really showing it on the field and, and stuff because he did seem to be just kind of moping around and kind of upset with it, not living up to his potential. So hopefully he's able to, to turn it around. Um, give us some thoughts on Michelle Bias, someone you've also seen recently in Extended. Um, do you think that Bias is going to be a, a reliever when it's all said and done? I suppose it's possible. I think you know, keep in mind he signed in 2016, uh, so you've got four years before he has to be 40 man, and so like he's still got another two years before you say, hey, we got to throw this guy on the 40 man. Doesn't make sense to pen him now. So it's excuse me, it's not really a decision that they have to make for another year and a half or so. Um, I think it's possible the injury stuff that he's had now the last two seasons it was back stuff last year um i forget what it's been this spring but he's like been up and down a couple times again this spring yeah uh, shoulder i believe is a little like okay. bulky shoulder or something yeah. Like yeah so like that stuff is bothersome uh he's not you know when he was exploding that first extended before they sent him out and he was so dominant at fort wayne um, yeah he was 94-97 with a plus changeup, and he was throwing a ton of strikes. So now he's more 93-95. He's basically been 92-93-95 um, for the last two seasons. So that's probably where he's going to settle in. Some of his issues are similar to Paddock's uh, in that the breaking ball here is like not great. Um, but the changeup's still really good. He's going to fill up the zone. So I feel I still feel pretty good about him being you know a number four. He's got number four starter stuff in my opinion. Uh, you know, the body and the delivery, uh, you know, the angle on his stuff is unique because he's six, eight. Um, he's very athletic for a six, eight guy. So I'm so cautiously optimistic. I could see, uh, you know, compared to 18, 18 months ago, is there a greater chance that this dude is a reliever? Yeah. Um, just because of the injury stuff. So we'll see. Uh, he's a 23-year-old who's probably going to still be on an innings cap this year. And so, yeah, like there, there are issues, but I'm still cautiously optimistic. Like the changeup is just – is very, very good. So, uh, so yeah, like ultimately Logan Allen is like the same guy, right? It's um, – he's, he's a year younger and he's left-handed, but it is like a changeup-centric dude um, whose fastball plays in the zone. And that's what Baez is, and, you know, those guys tend to work out pretty well. Yeah, there's definitely still some upside with uh, Baez. I think fans are, are perhaps a little frustrated because they saw you know him hitting 97, 98 in Fort Wayne a couple seasons ago and, and thought he would progress sure. fairly quickly. But you know it is what it is. It's it's a uh, it's it's a grind out there for some of these guys. Yeah, um, it just happens. Like 
Look at Lucas Giolito. That dude doesn't throw 100 anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is, right? Uh, let's transition to another big pitcher in the system, another larger frame pitcher, and that's uh, Mason Thompson, who's uh, a little bit of an enigma. I mean, he was hitting 97, 98 uh, this spring and, and, and early this season in, in Lake Elsinore. Uh, still getting knocked around a little bit, having issues with command. Uh, give me your thoughts on Thompson and, and his uh, upside and ability. Yeah, he's he was definitely a stock up guy during spring training. The stuff was down last year and he struggled. And then yeah, this spring he was dominant for stretches. And then as the regular season crept up, I ran into him a bunch this spring. Uh it's just the command was not quite there. He was not as sharp, but I saw his last spring outing and he was still throwing hard and the secondary stuff is uh, very good. Like it's it's a legit four pitch mix. All four pitches are of big league quality. I've always been on the changeup most of all, uh, but the breaking stuff was better this spring too. So uh, yeah, it's he's just been very wild. Um, I don't know. It's a tough thing, right? Because this guy hasn't pitched as much as other prospects his age because of the injury in high school. And then he had some injury stuff uh, as a pro. So, um, so yeah, he's behind where he should be developmentally for his age. Uh, and so that's a, a way of explaining like and being okay with some of these uh, command issues, I suppose. He's, he's boomer bust. Like of all the guys in the system who have a pretty wide variance of what they might become um, – He's he's among the guy with the widest gap between where he might end up um, on the high end and where he might end up on the low end. Like there's a non-zero chance that this guy is just nothing. You, know, you can't p- pitch at the big leagues when you're walking a batter per inning like this. You just can't do it. So, um, so we'll see. Uh, but the, just the stuff being up above where it was last season. Like if you had to pick, either he's sitting in like the upper 80s, low 90s and throwing strikes or he's throwing as hard as he is. And it looks like this, like, I think I still think I would take this. So I'm encouraged compared to last year still, uh, even though there's still some problems. So I wanted to, um, back out a bit and kind of ask a more broad question. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of the triple a run scoring environment this year with the, you know, increase in home runs or obviously using the same baseball as uh, the major leagues. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on kind of how that affects certain players? I mean, you got a guy like Luis Arias, who's, having this huge power spike in AAA, but then he you know, struggled yeah. at the big league level. So how do you think that plays into kind of evaluating uh, players like that? Yeah, the it certainly is in mind. Like, we keep it in mind. Uh, yeah, Louis Urias slugging, <laughs> slugging 817 right now. Um, <laughs> Jordan Alvarez's start has been similarly bonkers. Like, I think he's slugging something like that too. Um so yeah, like, but the short answer is like I don't know. Um, I really don't know what to do about this. It is frustrating on some level, um, but like we know what it's doing, right? Like the it's the combination of the baseball itself and the run scoring environment in the Pacific Coast League, which is already which is already pretty extreme, right? Like El Paso and Vegas and Albuquerque. Uh, like, thank God Colorado Springs is not in the PCL anymore. Like that was its own thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, there are places where it is just nutty, you know, the run scoring and, um, 
And so that combined with the baseball is, is probably having a multiplicative effect on the, the, the power environment. I mean, I know you guys have probably seen it's like um, at the end of April, there were um, like twice as many home runs hit at AAA compared to last April. Um, and so, yeah, I, the, the, like the short answer is I just like I don't know. Uh, there's not like a standard way to back out, be like, okay, well, he's slugging, you know, Jordan Alvarez is slugging 870, uh, you know, and he's played in these ballparks. And so at the big league level, it would be, you know, 490. Like, I just don't know. Um, but it is crazy and it's probably going to mask some, some players too, right? Like Jeff McNeil, Jeff McNeil was never on a fan graphs prospect list. Like when he started to break out at triple a, um, when I looked at his numbers, I was just like, well, it's a 25 year old who's hitting in Vegas. Like who cares? Lots of guys do that, you know? So I didn't, so I it's just, he flew completely under the radar because, uh, because of skepticism. And so I suppose that there will be some individuals who we totally miss on because we'll just be like, oh, well it's the, the ball and the PCL and this guy plays at El Paso or whatever. And so like, who cares? This isn't, this isn't real. Um, and there will probably probably be some cases where it is. Um, so like, uh, I just wish I had TrackMan access and could see, you know, like exit velocities, things that aren't dependent on the ballpark, mm-hmm. uh, things that are just sort of their own thing. Like I'd really wish I could see that stuff uh, for all the players, but like I can't. It's just a t- thing that teams probably have a better grasp on than I do. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy that Luis Arias has a. 1250 OPS right now. It's crazy. <laughs> like that's not what I expected this year. Um, but I wanted to kind of more of your thoughts on Urias. I mean, obviously the big league call up and the last year didn't go very well. Didn't go very well at the beginning of this year, but now he's just absolutely mashing in AAA. So I mean, where do you kind of go with that? How do you evaluate a player like that where it seems like there's such a dichotomy between the two? Yeah, um, we've seen this a lot, right? And and there are guys who who go down to AAA and mash. And just can't hit big league pitching. Um, I th- so th- you know you wonder if that if this is going to be that guy. Uh, he still is just the age of a college junior. He still is just twenty one. Um, is there a risk that yeah this is you know we're talking about a five nine hundred and eighty five pound dude? Uh, is there just risk that this guy does not have the requisite physicality to compete at the big league level? Like yeah, there's some risk of that. Um, but the contact skills throughout his career have been so exceptional and I know that they've tweaked him to try to get to some, uh, more power. Like he, you know, he's not ditching that light kick with two strikes anymore. Um, or rather, uh, but, um, I don't know. I'm still in a lot of times with, with development and success at the big league level, it just does not all come at, at once. It just does not all come that first time. Uh, those guys who succeed immediately are more the exception than what is typical. Most most players struggle. It's really hard. The gap between AAA and the big leagues from a talent standpoint, from an execution standpoint, it's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am still totally in on Louis Urias. Uh, I, I really just think, you know, most of the college players who are going to get drafted in June are – this guy's age. So, you know, he's going to be 22 in like a couple of weeks. Uh, and he should really only be, he'd be age appropriate at like high A, double A, you know? So, um, I feel really good about it still. And, uh, I just think it's going to take some time. I, I know they don't necessarily have that time, 
because they're competitive now, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's so I think um, you know if there was someone who they might trade who is like on our top 100 list, I'd say it's probably this guy uh, that he's he's rebuilt some of his value uh, at AAA and that the uh, the org might be inclined to move him. Like this is the type of player that a lot of teams like. You know, it's an up the middle player with elite contact skills who has performed historically as young for the level regular. So like the analytically inclined front offices are going to be all in on, on Louis still. Um, and I think they might, they might move him, but I still think he's going to be a, big, a good big leaguer. I think, I think uh, a lot of Padre fans just uh, had a heart attack right now because I think they're pretty <laughs> much, they're pretty, they're pretty much done with Ian Kinsler at second base. Um, it's been, it's been an ongoing issue for the Padres this season. It's at second base and uh, Luis Urias has been, uh, his name has been uh, called for 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 quite some time in, in Padreville, but you know we'll have to wait and see. Uh, he, God, he just has so much potential. It's uh, it's hard to it's hard to see Inkinsler play every day on this young team, but it that it is what it is. Uh, let's move and transition to Mackenzie Gore, who's just been phenomenal uh, this first seven starts in the California League. Um, give me what you think your timeline is for Mackenzie Gore to make it to the major leagues. I guess I haven't asked if he's going to be on an innings limit after he did not throw a whole lot last year because of the blister stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if that'll affect things. Um, he's really good guys. Like it's a shame. He's one of those types of players who you don't really fully appreciate on the high school showcase circuit. His stuff is good. You're like, okay, it was 90-94 with you know, the good curveball, whatever. But when you're watching high schoolers on the showcase circuit, you're seeing two innings at a shot. Um, but when that following spring when he was sitting mid-90s deep into starts, like reaching back to throw 97 in the final innings, uh, you see all four pitches. You see the command of all four pitches. You see... Uh, the athleticism over several innings and you're like, wow, like this is really unique. This is really special. Um, he's, he's exceptional. And the, the thing about Gore uh, that I think I'm, that I'm starting to understand is the, is spin axis, spin efficiency. Um, we have the average fastball and, uh, breaking ball spin rates on the board on the website. Like we have worked to source um, the you know a little bit of TrackMan data for minor league pitchers. Um, so we've got like the average fastball and breaking ball spin rate on the board. And Gore's curveball spin rate is only like 1900. Um, that might that's from last year, so it might have been reduced because of the blister. But from like a spin efficiency standpoint, if you go on and look at the video that we have of Gore, including some of the the high speed video we have. Well, you can see the spin axis and uh, the spin efficiency. Like it is pure backspin, it is pure front spin on the fastball and curveball, respectively. So you're still going to get depth. You're still going to get movement, uh, even though the raw spin is not crazy, just because you know it's it's Clayton Kershaw's uh, spin axis um, mm-hmm. and delivery. So it is like the stuff is going to play up because of all that stuff and he's deceptive and it's like a unique mechanical look. And so there's all this stuff that helps the pitches all play up. Uh, and he's got four good pitches. So, um, I think it could could be pretty quick if the Padres need him within the next, 
year, year and a half. Like, it's not crazy to me to think that this kid will just be in the big leagues next year at 21 um, and and carving. Like, he is competitive. He's a, he's a sharp kid. Uh, the makeup is is exceptional. He works. He wants to be great. Uh, he's very talented. Like, it is just all the things. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's he's really, really good. And, yeah, if they want to push him, as long as the workload component is not uh, a – a barrier uh yeah like next year uh coming up and and bolstering a competitive club like hell yeah this kid could do that he's he is really really good uh i'm i'm very excited to see what he's going to do with the big league level and it's so much fun to watch mechanically like it is just so funky and weird uh mm-hmm. so i'm i'm really excited to see what what it's going to be like yeah, yeah, the demeanor on this kid is, is pretty impressive. I mean, you, you mentioned he just he wants to get better. He he knows he needs to get better. Even you know, even in talking to him uh, about how dominant he is, he made it clear to me that he wants to be better. That he has so many things that he needs to work on. So that's just the attitude that you want from a twenty-year-old kid that's in in high A ball. Uh, regardless of the numbers they're putting up, he's got the right attitude, and, and uh, it'll be exciting to see. I, I think a year, a year and a half is is probably a fair assessment for when he's going to be there. And uh, I think once he makes it to Petco and to the Padres, he's one of those players who's just not going to be set down. Uh, he's going to be there and he's going to be there for good. So it's exciting for Padre fans for sure. And it's again, another issue for this team that already has a six man rotation. Uh, reinforcements are coming. There, there's going to have to be some movement with this franchise in, 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 in the coming months and in year for sure. Uh, let's transition to Andres Munoz who's somebody who throws absolute fire out of the bullpen. Uh, he's been impressive in his last seven or eight starts in uh, Amarillo. Uh, give me your thoughts on Munoz and whether or not uh, the Padres will be tempted to bring him up at some point in the coming months, uh, being that they're having uh, bullpen issues presently. Yeah, I think uh, it's a conversation that they'll have. He's only 20, and again, he's like walking a batter per inning. Um, yeah. But from a stuff perspective, I mean, it's it's an eight fastball. It's one of the few, I think, eighty fastballs that we have on the board. Um, just delivery wise, when you see him, you're gonna you, you know and look at the arm action. Like I comp the arm action to uh, Joel Zumaya and Billy Wagner and like Craig Kimbrell. This is that kind of arm speed this kid has. Uh, he throws really, really hard. Uh, and if the breaking ball is consistent then yeah, he could pitch in the big leagues right now and strike dudes out. Like, um, so as far as internal options are concerned, uh, as far as, you know, improving the bullpen. Yeah. I think that they'll probably have the discussion. There are reasons not to do it. The walks are one, uh, the age is another, you know, he's only 20. He doesn't have to really be part of, you know, the big league bullpen for a while. If they don't want him to, they could probably package some of these prospects for, um, you know, relief help via the trade deadline. Craig Kimbrell is just sitting out there if they want to go that route. Like, there are other avenues to explore as far as improving the bullpen are concerned. Mm-hmm. But if you look at this kid's arm action and some of the injury history already, like, he has had some stuff already at age 20. Uh, if you want to say, if you say, okay, well, you know, we don't know how many bullets are really in this uh, gun. Let's do it right now. Like, there's, you know, there are reasons to do it. I could see them considering it. There's there's also some stuff on the other side of, of the argument that I think are like, well, maybe we should explore other things. But I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Sticking in uh, Amaria, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, 
the the outfield down there because there's obviously three guys on this list who are kind of playing regularly out there. Um, so what are your thoughts on early season performances of Oliveras, uh, Jorge Ona, um, just to name a few? Yeah, those guys are all uh, playing pretty well, right? So Oliveras and Ona especially are really hitting. I ultimately think both of those guys are the smaller half of a platoon or bench outfield types. Uh, they're ultimately corner outfielders who, I mean, you guys have seen it, right? Like, look, think it, look at Hunter Renfro and Fran Mil Reyes and, like, look at how much power those guys have and then see that, you know, the plate discipline aspect of the profile is just not there for both of them. And so their value is is capped in that, like, two-win territory. Um, Oliveras and Ona do not have that sort of physical ability. Oliveras runs a little bit better and... Um, you know, so like there might be, maybe there's a chance that he can play some center field or something like that. But like just from a physical ability to hit and do damage standpoint, those guys are both beneath, uh, the Renfro and Fran Meal and Franchi Cordero types. Uh, and so it's hard for me to project either of those guys as like surefire everyday regulars. Um, even though the performance at double A to this point has been, uh, very strong. I don't really know. I've been to Amarillo. Uh, like just not to see baseball, just I've been there. Uh, it's a very bizarre, dry, windy place. Uh, I don't know what the offensive environment at Amarillo is like compared to other places. Like there just hasn't been professional baseball there. Um, so we really need to wait before we buy into exceptional statistical performances like the ones that those two have posted so far. Like, I just don't know what Amarillo is doing to stuff. Um, and I know Buddy Reed is struggling there right now. But Buddy, ultimately, Buddy can play, really play center field. Uh, he's an athletic switch hitter. He's, you know, built like an Abercrombie model. He's just going to play baseball forever because uh, those <laughs> skills, the speed and the defense are just always – they're just always going to be there. They're constants for this guy. So I think he's going to be a bench outfielder for a long time who might eventually like have a good year. Um, just probably not early on. Uh, so like, yeah, Buddy is the most stable of those three because it's, I just think he's a fourth outfielder um, who can really play center field. And Oliveras and Ona, like, yes, this offensive performance should probably cause some sort of reevaluation, but there are other components that we need to consider specifically, like what does Amarillo do to hitting stats? Uh, and just from a scout, like visual scouting evaluation of the tools, these guys are beneath, um, you know, hitters in the big leagues who are like, you know, average regulars at best. So I'm not going to go crazy on either Oliveras or, or Onia right now, but uh, it is encouraging that they're hitting. I kind of have a follow up on uh, Buddy Reed a little bit. You, would you consider him potentially a better version of Travis Jankowski or in a similar yeah. mold? Or uh, Yeah, yeah. I think Buddy might be better in center field than than Jankowski is. Uh, he's got about the same amount of raw power. It just doesn't play like he still is a swift, a stiff sort of awkward mm-hmm. swinger. Um, there was a time last year watching Buddy where it was like, oh, like there's better feel for gap to gap contact here than there used to be. Like that's pretty interesting. But um, but you know he's gonna he's gonna strike out a ton. He's going to be attacked by opposing pitchers because they're not scared of him getting to the power. Like there, it's pretty clear that you can pitch to this guy in a way where he doesn't do damage. Um, I just think he's going to be an eight an eight hole NL hitter who can really play center field um, and and run really well. And because of the switch hitting stuff, he'll be able to spell 
uh, your starting outfielders pretty efficiently. You know, it doesn't really matter handedness of the opposing pitcher on whatever day. Like if a guy needs to blow, Buddy can give it to him. And I just think that's the sort of role he'll fall into. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so um, I, I could probably go on all day, but I have one more question I wanted to kind of hit on. Um, is there any guys kind of in the back part of this list who you could see as uh, maybe breakout candidates or fast risers or kind of names to watch, um, you know, near the back half? Uh, yeah, there, there are interesting guys of all like types. Augustin Ruiz, uh, this is like the type of player who in Latin America, the, the Padres are pretty good at getting. Um, he, when I first saw Ruiz, uh, he's, you know, he was like a bunch of 40 and 45s on the scouting scale, like tool wise, but he's got a great, build like a great frame and as he has matured physically the tools have all kind of bubbled up they're all you know closer to average or above uh and so now it's a pretty interesting corner outfield package it's a left-handed bat uh with like a well-rounded skill set so that guy is an interesting sleeper um then you've got the the super tooled up but very raw types uh yordi barley who was terrible in the AZL last year. There are definitely some teams, some individual scouts who are just out on your on Yordi Barley. Uh, Duanya Williams Sutton, uh, the outfielder who they took in the eighth round last year out of East Carolina, is like a really physical, you know, like NFL running back build. He's got huge power. Uh, he's very raw for a college player. Sean Gilby, who they took in the 12th round out of a Pennsylvania high school. He's like, you know, twitchy, has power, can run has a chance to play somewhere up the middle, second base, uh, shortstop, maybe third base. Like it's there's, he's just raw with bat speed. Like those guys could pop at any time. Uh, and then the other like low end of the list, like there are so many guys, uh, the other low end of the list type who I think is a name to watch is Jesus Gonzalez. Who's a Venezuelan lefty who they signed in 2017 his velocity is up like as of this spring. Like, he went from sitting 81, 86 when they signed him. Now he's like bumping 93s. Uh, he's still 17. So he's someone who I'm looking forward to see hopefully in the AZL. Uh, if not, when the AZL starts, hopefully he gets promotion uh, later in the summer and like is here in August. Uh, and I'm still not out on Michelle Miliano. Miliano, I've been on since he was 16. Uh, it's just that, you know, 6'3", 180, projectable body, very loose, like uh, athletic delivery. Velocity started to come, and as it did, he lost, you know, feel for location. Like, it's just someone who the velocity came. He was, like, more into the mid-90s last year. Uh, curveball has good snap, but like he just has not harnessed that new velocity yet. So, um, it's, it's the feel for pitching is worse now than it was when he was 16, 17, uh, just cause he hasn't harnessed that, that velo yet. So I'm looking for him to do that this year. I really hope he does, uh, compared to other 19 year old arms, you know, amateur arms, whatever, uh, this type of velo and breaking ball and body and stuff like it still belongs, uh, among, you know, this 40 future value tier of 19 year old arms. So, um, don't want to get prospect fatigue on a guy like that. And then Ignacio Feliz, uh, who they got for Walker Lockett last year. Uh, man, I, I love Feliz. Like it's, this is another conversion arm. This is, I think a converted shortstop, uh, very athletic. He's six, one, one eighty. uh, mechanically like he's a lot like a Roldis Chapman. Like it is that type of, uh, beautiful mechanical efficiency, 
He's like 88, 92 with cut, can really spin a curveball. Like it's just uh, a good scouting find at the lowest levels last year. Like they, you know, Cleveland traded a lot of their AZL kids last year. Um, they had such a strong group and they do again this season. Like whoever, Paul Gillespie is Cleveland's uh, international director and that guy's crushing it. Um, but yeah, so like Ignacio Feliz is another name to watch. He'll probably be in the Northwest League this year. Um, he could be could be a riser uh, just based on the athleticism and like the, the ability to spin the baseball. Very, very interesting. Yeah, there's so many young arms uh, in the Padres farm system. It's amazing. I mean, I saw you guys had... Uh, Listed Frank Lopez in there is someone who who I've been pretty high on, who's got a, a pretty decent upside. Um, I was wondering if Manuel Partida is a name that has come across your uh, desk, uh, left-handed pitcher uh, who was in the DSL last uh, year for the Padres. Uh, yeah, I have his uh, I have his name down, but I don't have any notes on him. I don't have. Okay. Um, yeah, I know it's a it's a, a Mexican lefty with. Uh, strong peripherals from last year. I have not seen him here in extended. I don't even know if he's on uh, the roster. Yeah, I just don't know. Yeah, the, I mean, there's just so much depth in the system. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Um, They've done pretty well, like with the the pitchability arms from Mexico, especially like um, like Omar Cruz and stuff. Like they do. Yes. Yeah, you mentioned Frank Lopez. Lopez left an extended start with a with an injury. Um, okay. That first. Those first few Lopez outings last year around this time when he was like up to 97. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's never he was really... only 16 or 17 at the time, right? He's, he's still very young, right? He's still young. The body is not as projectable as his age would indicate. Like he is a pretty physically mature kid. He's really been like more 91, 93 over the last um, like eight to 10 months. Okay, uh, okay. But yeah, I've seen him a couple times over the last – I saw him last fall, and then I saw him again last week. So, so yeah, he's okay. I'm like lukewarm on Frankie Lopez, but I know okay. other people are really are totally in. Yeah, it's again, it's it's so hard to to put a, a, your finger on these teenagers, and you just kind of have to wait to see how they progress, if you will. Um, before we let get let get let you out of here, Eric, we'd be remiss without talking a little bit of Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, give me your impression on what you've seen from him so far in in, in the major leagues and. Uh, just overall, just the greatness that, that this young shortstop has. I mean, Padre fans are still pretty much amazed that uh, Tatis came from James Shields and Paddock came from Fernando Rodney. Um, I think we're going to have to rub that into Marlon and White Sox fans for the rest of our lives. Yeah, and most you know most stars who you trade for as prospects, it always looks uh, you know lopsided in retrospect, but. But yeah, the Tatis, the Tatis uh, theft is just so <laughs> it's so beautiful. Like him and Estery Ruiz are the two where it's like, yeah, um, that's another one. <laughs> I don't know if it happens unless Preller is Preller. Like, yeah, AJ goes and sees players. You know, like I don't see other GMs in a bucket hat and like. <laughs> mesh basketball shorts on the backfields, yeah. like seeing players at 10 a.m., uh, yeah. you know, sweating and uh, jet lagged from flying across the country from a college game the night before. Like he, AJ Preller is his own thing. Um, and, you know, there are other people in baseball who think some of his energy is misdirected. And I, but I could give a shit. Like I think it is, it is really cool that he goes and looks for treats on his own on the backfields. Yeah, um, yeah. And so um, he and, the, and his staff 
who all the Padre scouts that I come across uh, grind. Like, you know, if you're going to work for that guy who is intense as Preller seems to be, you know, like you better grind too. Uh, and so, every, you know, the whole staff deserves credit for finding players like this uh, when they do. Because it takes, you know, it takes confidence. It takes, uh, you really have to stick your your neck out there to to say, hey, uh, we need to trade, you know, a big league arm for this teenage kid who has not played a pro game yet. Um, uh, so with Tatis, like, um, I'm glad that everyone gets to see this now. He's really special. Uh, the watching Dominican winter league games. And seeing what he played like, like the way he carried himself with uh, when there were real stakes uh, with what he was doing, you know, playing for your dad's team in the Dominican and like in a playoff race down there in front of, uh, you know, in your home country, like it, I think it changed this young man. I think it made him grow up a little bit, not that he was immature before, but just like you could see the way uh, the you know like watching the NBA playoffs like that's what it was like for this kid last year he rose to the occasion I think he grew up as an athlete um, in his home country over the, over the winter and uh, so yeah like I stand by the the little blurb I wrote on the prospect list for him uh, he sort of came of age I think over the winter and um, is like a different human being now and so I think he's going to be great and yeah like you know we put Vlad number 1 we put uh, Wander Franco number 2 overall and put this kid number 3 like there's an argument that this kid should have been one um just based on the physical talent and if you're scared of Vlad's body and all that stuff like there's an argument for that so uh I think he's going to be really special and I I'm so happy that everyone in, in uh that likes to watch baseball you know that can flip on MLB TV and put on whoever they want finally get to see this kid that I've had the pleasure of watching on the backfields here in Arizona for like the last three years. It's, it's, it's really special. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a, good, a great time for, for Padre fans. And I think the most important thing is, is the player development side of uh, Padre Bill is, is definitely stepping up and we're seeing the, the Marco Vicious's and, and the Lucchese's and, and the Lowers hit the major league level and, and be successful to some, some degree. So right. Like who, uh, it, who has been disappointing so far of, you know, Padres prospects during the, uh, during this era? Like, it's hard to find someone who's like, eh, this yeah. isn't really working. I guess it's like Margot, you know, hasn't gotten to any of that power. And he turns yeah. out like he's yeah. just a low end regular in center field. Like, maybe that is a, a thing that you look at and you're like, yeah, I wish that they would have found a way to, to get this guy to hit for more power and stuff. But like, other than that, uh, I think I think things have worked out okay, um, and so yeah, I think the player dev group is here is is also good. I think the org in general is just um, is very good, and uh, that this is the way they've built so much depth in the farm system that the success that you guys are starting to experience uh, is is sustainable long term. Yeah, that that's the most important thing is that this is a long term goal and a long term achievement. This is going to be, you know, it's the waves of talent are going to be keep coming and and cresting themselves at Peckle Park. So we're excited, uh, Eric. We've we've taken up enough of your day. Thank you so much for joining us. We we really appreciate your time. Uh, you've been great to the show. Thank you so much, man. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Sorry again for uh, for like writering you out of the the first time we tried to do this a couple weeks ago. I I felt so bad when I woke up and was like, ah, shit, like I slept through my alarm and all that. So, uh, no worries, man. Uh, yeah. Anytime you guys, uh, want to talk uh, is, is good for me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Eric. 
uh, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs. Uh, give them a, a, a follow. Give them a, a check out. Uh, the fantastic write up they do on on each of the teams. Uh, the top fifty five Padres list is is pretty damn accurate. I mean, you guys got to about eighty men that you listed listed on there, so that's that's pretty impressive in itself. Yeah, and that, they were thank you. Yeah, the uh, this list and the Rays list were very laborious. That those two teams have done a great job building um, exceptional farm systems. We try to make sure that we're covering all the players um, as best we can. But even like, yeah, you said like 80 guys, uh, Jean Cosme is not on there. Um, you know, yeah. like there are, there are players <laughs> you could argue that we like should have included that we did not. So it's, yeah, it's just a testament to the, the way the org has put together a, a great, a great system. Definitely. Things are definitely swinging uh, up for the, for San Diego Padres. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Eric. Have a great day, man. Thanks guys. You too. Uh, well, there you go, folks. Uh, Eric Long and Hanging of Fangraphs joining us uh, to talk about the top 55 list. Um, pretty impressive stuff, Patrick. Um, it's just it's nice to see some of these national media guys uh, give credit and, and just to what A.J. Preller and, and his baseball operations team are doing for this Padres. Sorry, it's pretty amazing the amount of talent that they have in the system now and um... – you know, it's great we have people like Eric who uh, do all that work because uh, that list is definitely a lot of work. Him and Kylie do a do a fantastic job over there covering the team and you know putting these lists together. It's it's definitely quite quite a bit of work, but I'm glad to have that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think we are good to go, uh, Patrick. If you want to take us out of here, uh, this is episode one hundred and five of the East Village Times podcast. Yeah, so you can find us on Podbean. That's where we're hosted. Um, Anywhere you get your podcast will be there, iTunes, um, you know, Stitcher, really anywhere. I know there's like 5,000, you know, <laughs> places to get podcasts now, um, but you can find us any of those places. Um, we definitely appreciate you sticking with us and uh, East Village Times podcast signing out.